0: Well, welcome back to the Two Young Farmers podcast. Uh, Jake and Ryan here. What are we up to right now, Ryan?
1: Well, we're recording you live from the <laughs> back roads of western Ohio. 100 mile drive south to go pick up a cheap kick rack. So now we're up to five wagons. There you know, She's in most early.
0: <laughs> oh no, my brakes. Uh, so today, we're going to dive into the topic of firsts. Um, We've had a lot of those between the two of us in the last two, three years. Um, so I guess we'll get into some firsts of how we went through those experiences, how we got there. Before um, you turn the podcast how, off, he's talking
1: first agricultural experiences, not romantic. <laughs> that might come later yeah. in the after show. But. Yeah, we run out of things to talk about. Um, so
0: let's see. We've had, I mean, personally, my first First time planning, first time buying used equipment, first time operating operating a combine, first time, mm, I mean, checking moisture in the, in the field, and then your first
1: pretty similar first time. I think everyone remembers their first time driving tractor, and typically that's, ideally it's not going to be on your own tractor. I think it'd be hard to start a farm from scratch having never driven driving a tractor, tractor at all, because that is a huge learning curve. And it comes second nature once you've done it enough times. So uh, what was the first tractor you drove when you do that? I think we were failing to start. My uncle's is an Oliver 770 narrow front diesel. And my dad showed me how to drive that. And I don't think I drove another tractor until like probably four or five years later in high mm-hmm. school. It wasn't really, when you learn how to drive a tractor, you're really not, at least in my experience, We I never actually got to do anything with it. Anyway. I know some people who grow up on farms, you get taught how to drive a tractor and then they throw you out to the fields and let you loose, but. My experience was quite different. I didn't really get much seat time until I started building cows in high school. So, right. My my first tractor, I don't know how
0: old I was, but it was just moving around the yard, um, driving the 8 in Ford. It was, I think it, it was my great-grandfather's tractor, then Grandpa had it, and then it was over at Dad's, and I mean, now it's actually sitting in my barn, but...
1: What was your first use on that? Just driving around, or you Just actually- in the
0: yard. Uh, we used to pull the hay wagon around with it every now and then but
1: uh so maybe i'll cloud the garden with it it's the first time they throw you in the tractor show you reverses and tell you to back the hay wagon in the barn with six inches of clearance on either side right right
0: so i mean after that that first is very different from the first of when you're like actually operating equipment when you're running the round baler for the first time when you're shelling corn for the first time that's a pretty drastic difference
1: because you like know what, what the the that person means, yeah. right? You're figuring it out as you're actively operating said piece of equipment with a time crunch on the activity yeah. you're trying to carry out. So why don't why don't you dive into some of your first, like the round baler or whatever you want to talk about uh, first? I mean, there's a lot of prominent firsts, but I think the round baler is the one that sticks with me the most. So like I said, I mean, I had milked cows in high school, so i have been taught how to operate a square baler. I've run the square baler. Um, that dairy farm, I've run it for my uncles. So I've run square balers before, but I've never run a round baler a day in my life. I've, my experience with round balers in my entire life was maybe watching somebody run one in the distance while driving down the road. Never been around one. Never rode buddy seat. No one taught me anything about it. And I knew I wanted to do it, so I ended up just kind of YouTubing and reading forums on how to operate them, because if you know anything about round bales, you kind of want them squared up from the shoulders so they stack well. They're not barrel-shaped, lopsided one end to the other. So there is something more than just feeding hay into it and uh, spitting out a bale. If you want to put quality bales out, swerving side to side to evenly feed, that bale chamber um, affects the quality of bale that you produce. And um, so I had purchased this round baler off a dealer lot used. I get it out to the field to use the first time, and it has a monitor and it's electronic um, actuators that run the net wrap to wrap your bale. Well, I couldn't figure out how to work the monitor. I mean, I had stayed up till 3 in the morning the night before reading through my manuals of the monitor and everything else, and uh, I get into the field. I I got a bale formed. It says I have a full bale. I think I had it set in manual instead of auto. or I had some other issues with the monitor. I I didn't have the settings quite right, so I just couldn't figure out how to wrap the first bale. I think it took me 20 minutes and I'm calling up the dealership I bought it from and they were a New Holland dealership. They were just, I think I don't know what they sold, but it wasn't New Holland equipment. This was just a used piece on the lot. So the uh, salesman was absolutely no help to me at all. So I'm Googling things, reading through the, the manual, I end up just dropping the first bale in the field unwrapped and then I have to go out, and unroll the entire bale to re later. Yep. I think the second bale form, we were able to figure out how to wrap it. and. Uh, That was a very interesting experience and frustrating. When you buy a relatively nice piece of equipment, you expect it to work and work well first time, and that wasn't the case. No fault of the equipment, just the operator, right? Uh, Once I figured out the monitor, I was able to get a good bale made second. I think we did 10 bales that day, and I did another like 15 bales later that that fall when I bought the round bales in the fall. And I parked it all winter and didn't touch it until next (laughs) spring on first cut. Um, But now I can make a bale probably... Every minute and a half, I know, but guys can push out faster, but just with the way the tractor is geared um, without going into like a road gear, um, I can usually bail about seven mile an hour and I knock out 44 rounds an hour with it and uh, pretty happy with that type of progress Um, considering it took me over an hour and a half probably to get the first bail out wrapped properly. Mm -hmm. So like I said, when you get into these firsts, like obviously you need to know how to run a tractor and you need to understand hydraulics, three point PTO how to shift gears um, because that's going to be a pretty drastic learning curve not even know how to run an implement let alone the power source in front of it not to say it's impossible but that would be uh, probably not a situation i'd like to find myself in right and First, like that are difficult if you don't have someone
0: there that can walk you through the step-by-step. I
1: had nobody and, to call on how yeah. to operate. I do now. I have some resources, um, people I know that own them. But at that time, I had no connections on round-bale owners. And and then if
0: you, if you don't have that person there to give you the step-by-step, then hopefully you have a, a manual or a book. And if you don't have that, then you kind of just have to
1: mm. learn how
0: not to do it and then
1: online forms can there. only get you so far right once you get in the seat C- you just got to figure things out you gotta you gotta drive the struggle bus a little bit for yeah a while. it's pay your dues i don't know however you want to word that right um yeah it's it's interesting
0: i guess we can talk about a couple of my first here. so i mean first time planting beans first time um running the combine setting up the combine uh those are all kind of scary because i guess with hay you get that instant satisfaction of whether or not you did a good job
1: you walk behind that mower <laughs> you can tell if the hay's crimped and you can tell if it's cut yeah you walk behind a rake you can tell it got flipped over and you walk behind a baler you can tell if you have a good bale
0: yeah so now step over into planting your first crop for the first time a planter that you tore apart and put back together and hopefully you did it right and and then you're running a monitor that's beeping at you. You don't know what's going on. How fast should I be going? Did I have my rate set right? And there's so many things like depth, closing wheel pressure, and and just your marker arms. Are they working and all this? Mm-hmm. And you're getting out and you're checking all this. And then, oh, this unit's pulling seed a lot faster than this unit. Why is it doing that? This one's plugged. And then you finally get the field done. You're like, okay, I did it. But then you don't really get that satisfaction because... Now you wait two weeks to see what pops up out of the ground and see if it's even worth,
1: you know, all that time and effort you put in. Anybody who's been in our shoes will tell you those first initial um, walkthroughs of doing anything on your own are filled with stress and anxiety. And I think both me and Jake are quite easygoing people, but those can get you uh, pretty high strung in those yeah. situations. Yeah, that
0: I mean, even even in the recent years or like this year, planted wheat for the first time out of that planter. And I've planted a decent amount with that planter now, and I'm more comfortable with it in beans and corn, but planting wheat for the first time now again. And it's like, there's that stress back again because it's something completely new. And then running the combine for the first time, I had never ran a combine at all. I'd sat in the buddy seat and when I was a kid and licked the glass a little bit and oh, wow, this is awesome.
1: But Wondering how the auger
0: never ends. Yeah. How does it, where is it coming from? Yeah. But I mean, then you're actually in the seat and you're the one responsible for setting the, the cylinder spacing, the cylinder speed, the uh, distance on your sieves and chafers and your fans. Like it's, you're responsible for all that. So then I'm getting in and out. I'm like, yeah. Am I pushing the combine too hard? Am I not? You're looking out, checking your sample. Is sample clean? Is sample dirty? And I mean, that's nerve wracking. But then you kind of just do it. You get a little comfortable with it. And then you're like, yep, I'm not blowing a bunch of grain out the
1: back. Uh, I, I drove your combine a little bit this fall. while well, you were. I wasn't actively doing it for you. You just gave me the opportunity. And I didn't have to set it up or pay attention to any settings other than just steer it straight. Mm-hmm. and drive and there was more there to watch than i felt comfortable watching yep i mean you give me a half hour running it i'd probably be pretty comfortable but that first five ten minutes you're on edge you're you're running down a yeah. row of beans or we and yeah. those are really minor things compared to just having your settings set right and, right and i know i was creeping through the field i don't think oh I was yeah you and i going, was going half the speed i usually do at, at the fastest you went and it's like talladega nights where he finally gets back i'm to going racing. fast again
0: how fast are you going? 35 <laughs> mile an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's... And and then I sat down in it, and you're like, wow, you just really seem comfortable with this. And that's how I feel when I watch you run the, the round baler. I'm like, golly, he's
1: just banging through those gears or just opening that door. I threw my wife in the seat of the round baler this year for the first time, because I'm like, it's good for you to learn it if uh, something happens to me or I can't get yeah. out from work to round bail or something. I don't think she was running at half the speed I was going... She was stressed out and <laughs> probably getting mad at me a little bit because I'm like, just watch this. It's really easy. Yeah. Um, she was probably on edge that entire time um, while running the round baler, and then I'll hop in the seat, same field, same windrow, all the situations the same, and I'm probably going eight mile an hour while she was maybe doing three and a half to four. And we're pushing out. I mean, she made a really nice bale. She just took a little bit longer to do it. Right.
0: Um, I I think it's just that exposure and, to the stress getting comfortable with it and then seeing that what you did you did it right you did it successfully like you made a good round bill okay i now i can do it again or i planted a good crop my
1: rows are straight they're popping up nothing i can do it again nothing worth having ever comes easy yeah and, and, and that's the same for skills i would say rather than just material things skills worth having are always paid for through stress and whatever i mean just
0: well and A lot of times, now looking back, I don't think the planter is as complicated as I once thought it was. You probably don't think the round baler is as complicated as you once thought it was. The combine is not... A combine, there's a lot of things going on, but it's a lot of simple things. Hmm. Like the fan, it's simple. The chafers, it's simple. The augers, it's simple. The cylinder, it's simple. But they're all happening at the same time. Once you get an understanding of those things and you're comfortable with it i mean it's it's a game changer
1: so it was like first time running wheat with the combine I know that was a fun experience
0: that was i mean that was a little different oh you're talking when i vert when i first, first time the running combine, wheat. okay yeah. so this uh i had the 4400 and i got the new 6600 a buddy of mine had couple acres of wheat maybe maybe just an acre of some wheat he had up he didn't have a combine yet at that point i had just bought this combine it was uh end of june early july and i was like okay well i don't want to wait till fall to try to run this thing again i want to get it into here so i i put the grain head on it i uh set it as best i knew looking at the book i actually was setting it off the 4400 book which really you can do because it's just clearances and spacings and stuff like that it's, you forgot one adjustment though yep there <laughs> so i got into the field and i was having this issue It was like this wasn't thick wheat i think it was actually volunteer but i'm like it's going through the head fine, but it's like getting to the header or it's getting to the feeder house mouth, and it's just stopping. I'm like, what is going on? This isn't super thick. I shouldn't be plugging. What is going on? So I got through it, just kind of creeping through slow. I mean, got a little more comfortable with that combine. And so I'm there with my buddy and a uh, older farmer who had definitely ran a 6600 in the past. He showed up for something else and just kind of checking out what we were doing. And I told him what was going on, and boom! Instantly, he said, "Your uh, the drum in your feeder house is is set for corn right now, and it's, the spacing is too big, so you're not getting that grain fed through." And I'm like, "Man, something I completely overlooked in the book." Um, and that's the thing.
1: again, it started from scratch. Looking back at these first times operating, you don't know how you didn't realize these small issues, right. but at the same time, I also don't understand how I figured out some of these issues with no prior knowledge of how to solve them. Somehow, like, there's these solutions that I figured out for some things, and I look back on it with the information I had at the time, and I don't know how I figured it out. I understand yeah. it now, but looking back. And and it's it's like crucial to have guys
0: like that that can so easily point out to you what 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 you did wrong, and it's like, he didn't he didn't belittle me, he didn't insult my intelligence, he just said, you need a 5 eighths and a 7 sixteenths wrench. I don't know if those are exactly, I, I think it's close to that, but he knew exactly what wrench I needed, and he was very helpful. Wouldn't but, it be more beneficial coming out of the Marine
1: Corps to be belittled and yelled at? Uh, yeah, I guess I have an interesting uh, experience with reacting to that kind of leadership, but they <laughs> could just come out to the field, tell you, they give you 20 push-ups,
0: and then just start screaming oh, and at then you. All all oh, and then all of a sudden you got it now. no. I don't think that really applies. Lots the of water, off the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that really. Uh,
1: Civilian life
0: is a little different in that situation. I don't think that's going to help understand how to run a combine, but maybe try it. That's how I'm going to raise
1: my children. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep. Um, hmm. Some other firsts. Uh, I can talk. First time buying a used piece of equipment. My first ever equipment purchase was that. John Deere Planner and I remember a buddy of mine came with me and dad and I go look at this thing I'm talking to the guys I think I have an idea on price I think I think this thing's a good deal And I remember my buddy told me I overpaid it for it looking back now I don't think I did. And he also told you land was <laughs> not a good investment. Yeah no he didn't say it was not a well, good investment but maybe the price yeah. Some pe- I mean, some people then were telling me that what I was paying was not back what I ball. should have been yeah. but looking back now that's I'm definitely glad I did yep. and but I mean the stress of operating something for the first time it's kind of similar to the stress of buying something for the first time like what am I looking at on this planner like I called a few guys got some tips like what should I look at but then at that point I'm kind of having some trust in this farmer I've never met before who's explaining to a a young guy that he's never met before, how this planner works. And he was skeptical of your check, I think, too, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. He <laughs> said, He said, so how are you going to pay for this? And I said, is it is a check fine? He goes, yeah, I guess. It's like, well, because a young guy's handing him a check for multiple thousands of dollars. And he's like, is this going to go through? I'm like, yeah, it's going to go through. We can go to the bank right now if you want to see it checked. And the name and address is on it, My Name and address is on it. I don't know if he thought I was trying to rip him off or what, but but yeah, I ended up buying that thing, and it's worked out. But that initial stress, and then going to look at a combine, I don't know what I'm looking at. Kind of just trusting people. And luckily, when I bought the combine, it was from a family or like the I local family. Local family. family. I had knew known the family. I don't think they and I your church
1: too, didn't
0: they? Uh, yeah. And he, so, I mean, there was some trust there that he wasn't screwing me. And I know he was a little hesitant selling it to me because he knew I was going to go try to cut my own acres with it for the first time. And it was their backup combine that hadn't been used for very much more than cutting a sample or opening a field recently. And it, I know he was hesitant about selling it to me because he didn't want it to break down on me. But that's just a sales tactic. I, I really don't want to sell this. It's just been too good to me. No, he's, he was opposite. My arm if you he need. was opposite. He was worried that I was going to take it home and it would just break down on me, and yeah. he didn't want that. So he was looking out for me in that aspect, but, I mean, you don't always get that. You buy from a dealer, that guy's not going to have that hesitation and that worry.
1: He's looking for a commission check.
0: Right. I haven't
1: really been burned by dealers in the past. Luckily, I've
0: only... I've never
1: bought from a dealer myself. The brown baler came from a dealer. He seemed pretty straight. He was a straight shooter. Um, and then... The dispat I bought was a lead I got from the dealership, but they I didn't purchase through the dealer, and that turned out to be a pretty good opportunity there as well. I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's tough, too, but you kind of have to have some faith in humanity. Even if you are trying to buy something and they're trying to make a sale, not everything they're saying is fake, but you also have to be somewhat skeptical, right? <laughs> Where's some other first you got? Well, that's... Ground baler is a big one we had issues with. I think first time using the disc bind, I was cutting waterways and then this little two-acre patch that probably had some 30-degree slopes on. I swear, I mean, they had to be all at 20-degree. I mean, I'm climbing up those things. It's insane. Um, using that, I mean, it squealed and made all sorts of god-awful noises. I couldn't pinpoint it. Nothing was getting hot. I'm checking my bearings and everything was grease. So, well, this is just what the machine sounds like, I suppose. <laughs> And I don't think it really broke until like midway through that summer after a hundred acres, 200 acres or something that ran through it. Um, still sounded terrible all the way up until now when I parked it to sit, but it slowly gets better as I've replaced the parts of the cutter bar. Um, but I mean, a lot of those first making decisions can be quite difficult too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Making decisions,
1: that makes me think of like
0: my fertility program in, in, uh, herbicide and all that a lot I know that a lot of farmers I'm not saying everybody but some older guys they go in the elevator they say I've got bean ground I need fertilizer or they say my beans need sprayed boom end of end of discussion they get the bill I'm not really down for that because they'll throw some stuff that they think I need into that tank or I need high calcium lime. I I don't want high calcium lime right now. Get me that lime from the local quarry. Mm -hmm. It's cheaper, and that's what I need right now for fertility. I mean, luckily for me, my dad can sit down and look at a fertility program or a herbicide program with me and, and give me some advice. But at the end of the day, make me make that decision. But, I mean, the first time saying, I need this, I need that, uh, I need soil samples. Okay, first time looking at that sheet, which I, I did in that in uh, high school ag class, like looking at fertility and all that stuff, but how much did I retain? How much did I
1: actually care? Maybe not enough. I don't think any high schooler paid enough attention to retain information. Um, I mean, you get the basis down. You understand NPK. You're right. You got all that, but
0: it's not enough to carry you into it full It's fledged. not that you're yeah. not making your decisions on how many pounds of dap and and- I mean, NP and K period, like how many pounds of all of that do you need? Or am I doing just crop removal? Am I, am I doing a buildup program? I don't re- recommend a buildup program. Anyways. Um, am I just doing removal? Am I, you know, where am I at? And doing that for the first time is, is something, but I mean, getting through it, getting a little more comfortable with it now. I mean, and I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm not just blindly accepting, the recommendations from somebody else. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and look at those and see if it's actually worth. Not that they're trying to screw me,
1: they're gonna have. But to like the type they've mixes.
0: got something that'll cover most people's acres, and I want to make sure that it's applicable for my acreage
1: and it's the best use of my money at that mm-hmm. time. Um, you pay attention to the. was it you pay attention to the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Yeah,
0: or, not to say go cheap. Yeah,
1: but not if you to focus
0: too much on the pennies, you go can side. lose the
1: side of the dollars. But Absolutely. So I guess we can expand on that a little. I think it's what's really important in getting started, there's different philosophies on how to invest money. and At the end of the day, you need to have the equipment to get the job done, whether it's new, used, old, whatever. If you only have X amount of dollars to split over X amount of acres or X amount of pieces of equipment, you're going to have to go with whatever you can afford. But on the flip side, if you can afford something slightly nicer... I'd recommend possibly buying that nicer piece if you can cash flow. I mean, there's a lot of numbers you can go into that. So going cheap rarely ever saves you money in the long run. And I see some guys, and Jake's not like this, but, well, fertilizer is expensive this year. Let's not fertilize the hay ground because I don't see a return on them. They're not looking at the, say, $1,000 in fertilizer. They just see the money coming out of their pocket $1,000 of fertilizer could result in another $2,000 of hay, a net gain of a $1,000. Instead of looking at that net gain of profitability, they just look at the money going out and they worry more about those pennies instead of looking at long term returns of um, investment. Yeah, well, a couple
0: or last year, yeah, when I corn out and nitrogen prices were expensive and I reduced the amount of nitrogen I put down because I put it into a, a calculator that I think, I don't know if it was Ohio States or maybe another uh, college in the, in the area, but I put it into that calculator. You put in a yield, you put in a price and then it tells you what's going to be the most cost effective you pounds per acre event. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could put down a crap ton of, and on that corn and really bump the bushels per acre that i'm getting but does the cost of that that nitrogen is that gonna bump enough yield to cover its own costs so i mean i that's i tried true. to
1: watch Watching manage it. makes you the dollars mm-hmm. if you look at those small idiosyncrasies that's where you can make some big money for your operation but when something breaks you can choose to either replace it with a new part or you can choose to just cobble it together, weld it, maybe do something backwood fix, which sometimes you got to do, but I've seen that happen to some guys where it's more about how cheap can we get it back together today and worry about the long-term repercussions of our actions in the future. And it comes back to buy them. Sir, you saved $100 in parts. That's great. You have another $100 in your pocket. That machine's going to break down far faster with this cheaper fix than had you fixed it properly in the first place. Yeah. And it'll cost you more downtime, more cost in repairs in the long run than having just done it right in the first place. So there's two ways to look at that. That's like do you want that five
0: hundred dollar upfront fix or do you want two thousand <laughs> you want ten hundred dollar fixes? Absolutely.
1: And I've seen guys who'll just keep cobbling it together to keep buying time. Yeah.
0: And at some point, you have to. I mean, it depend. It's very situation dependent. Absolutely. Like, if do a, I need to get the crop off, or do I need
1: to? I that piece is at the tail end of its useful life. It's if you got an, I don't know. It, I mean, it, it's situational. It's hard to give an exact example of it, but if it's probably pretty worn out, maybe the next owner is going to be your local scrap yard. It's probably not worth putting thousands of dollars into it. It's worth putting a couple hundred into it, finishing out this current season. And uh, just taking that out of your operation or putting it for parts, and there's situations for every single one of those. And I think some guys are just so focused on the here and now, or how much we can save, that they lose sight of paying attention to the small things like your fertility programs. They'd rather not put the time and effort into educating themselves and just Mm -hmm. blindly go with what people say, or just blindly try to finish the current situation without looking at what the long term results of actions taken today are going to be. And if anyone's looked at that, it's um, say you have a beef herd and you're breeding heifers, right? That semen you're choosing to breed these heifers with will not result in a calf until nine months from now. Mm-hmm. You will have a day-old calf on the ground in nine months from that result, and those will not enter your breeding herd for another year and a half before you can breed them and two years before you get a genetic result off of that semen you're using today. You will not get a calf crop off of that semen, assuming you're breeding for heifers that might have bull calves for you in the future. You're looking at two years and nine months before you'll see any sort of end result out of decisions you're making today. So it's best to invest wisely and make proper decisions now because in the future it'll pay dividends. And I think a lot of guys lose sight of that. Right. Because If we can save another $10 a straw on semen, that's how some folks look at it, and they don't look at the long-term mm-hmm. effects of losing genetic potential, right? And same goes for equipment, fertility. I mean, you can apply that to a lot of different things. Let's uh,
0: we got a little off base from first, there, yeah. We? Let's talk some more. Let's get back into some first a little bit. Um, let's talk about some of your first times, like selling hay, selling. I mean, selling some of your first
1: hay. How are you? I don't recall. How do you feel about that? Some of the first was big sales were, I And mean, the first year of selling hay was uh, quite a struggle, honestly. I, I made just about 3,000 bales of hay year number one. And I still had plenty of first cut that I was selling for cheaper than I wanted, still at a profit, but cheaper than I wanted well into the spring of the following year. And I sold the last of my first year's second cut this year in July, I want to say. So I still had, I had about a cutting and a half or two cuttings completely done this year before I sold all of last year's hay production yeah so compare that first year of selling hay to now um we produced 1700 more bales of hay this year so 4700 bales almost 4800 bales I'm by next weekend I might have less than a thousand bales left I think I had I I just couldn't believe how quick this hay has moved um, from last year into this I mean we've had some reliable customers come back return customers I wouldn't say my marketing drastically changed. I was just a little bit more proactive about posting hay for sale because I'm like, well, I don't want to sell hay in the middle of the season last year because it's just not going to sell for anything. Mm-hmm. Well, what I should have done is just post it for what I want to sell it in the winter time anyways, get people's attention, and yeah. have it listed for the entire entirety of the season, and uh, waited for people to buy it whenever they want to buy it. Well, instead, I had waited until I thought prices would improve, listed it then. I think I missed out on a lot of people who were stocking up for winter. Um, Maybe I had been searching for hay and seen my name a couple times, but weren't ready to buy yet. This year, I'm capturing a lot of that market that I think I missed out on last year. Or Perhaps hay yields were down. Perhaps there's not as much out there. Perhaps more people got out of hay. There might be a lot of other variables that help with that. I am not a marketing genius, nor do I claim to be. Uh, I knew that last year. I was not a fan of the marketing aspect of I it. Mean, I thought I was doing a poor job. I knew I was doing a poor job. It wasn't moving. Mm-hmm. This year, I don't claim to have done anything drastically different. I think a lot of it just comes down to just being having the um, marketplace Craigslist ads out there in front of people and right place, right time, and some return customers. And that's really made all the world a difference. I think, so like we've
0: talked about how the firsts are, but what like what you just said, we can talk about how there can be such a change in the first and second, hmm. maybe even without changing how you're doing it, just the way, I mean, the other...
1: How do I want to say this? The other, um, My operation looks nothing like the first year compared to now. Um, outside looking in, we've made some very drastic changes yeah, from last year.
0: There can this. be big changes from first to second. It doesn't happen. The first, it's not going to be three years that are just like the first. It's going to be the first and the second, completely different. Third, There's a lot possibly of dues to pay in different. that
1: first year. A lot of dues you have to pay in. Yeah, yeah.
0: I feel like you, you don't reach that plateau very quick. Maybe it gets different. Like maybe, maybe 10 years from now, your 10th and 11th year resemble each other a lot. Maybe my 10th and 11th year are very similar to each other. But I mean, where, where we are right now, I don't think the first is gonna mirror anything
1: that we do from here on. And I had thought I'd written some goals down last winter leading into this, and I, I can't find them, I wish I could. But I knew any goals I might have had in my mind I far out past what I thought was even possible for this season. Uh, I'm definitely going to write some down this year. But I I feel like in my first year I was maybe looking more long-term, and I still am looking long-term. Like, what piece could last me a while, like, get a little bigger than I need now? That way it'll last me 10 years rather than something I'll own for a couple seasons to trade off. Mm -hmm. But now I've been heavily focused on what's the here now, next year, what do I need going into it? I had this long-term vision, like it's going to be like this, and I'll be bucking bales for X amount of years, and if we get to this level, and I had no idea what was even possible for growth. I had no idea what equipment deals I'd come on, uh, that's just where we've gotten now. I still have that long-term vision for where I want to be, but I have no expectations for where I'm going to be in 10 years. Like I have places I'd like to be, but at the end of the day, the only thing I'm really looking for is next year, because I'm probably not going to be where I'm expecting to be in 10 years. And that's a hard thing that it kinda took to realize, if that makes any sense. Like you expect to be at this certain level, and now I'm almost halfway to the ten year goal, if you will, at year number two. Right. So now that bar needs to be raised and changed and altered. And yes, I have those long term goals, but everything I imagined it would be is not anything like it was. You
0: know? Yeah. Like, yeah, the first the first doesn't always go how you want it to or how you'd expect it to. Like we could talk about Your first time going to a land auction
1: that was didn't didn't play out how you ideally wanted it so yeah that was interesting so I I had gotten approval from two different banks I'm like okay this land auction I'm probably not gonna get it but I got to go to at least try I I think it was like 40 acres and the auction was in it started and done in probably 10 minutes I never even got to raise my hand the bidding started out above my price threshold I was allotted And I was still above what I know a local farmer was willing to spend on it because it wasn't very phenomenal ground. Marginal, I wouldn't say, but still not great. Well, I knew I was above what he was willing to, so I could have outbid a a neighboring farm who farmed next door to this Mm -hmm. because I knew he he had told me what he was willing to bid. But the bidding started out above what I was even able to uh, afford. Well, and then it just kept going higher and higher, so I never even got to raise my hand. I was there for 15 minutes after it started, and... It was over. The second land auction I attended, I actually got to raise my hand. I bid Completely it. different. It was a whole other situation. I didn't buy it, but I still had an opportunity to be competitive on certain lots or tracks, if you will. I don't yeah. know what you want to call them. Tracks, I suppose. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford the entirety of the farm. There's, I think, five different tracks for sale. I had the winning bid for a minute or two on a couple different tracks. Um and at the end of the day, nobody won anything except for the larger, like there's a equipment dealer who also purchases land in our area. Um, they end up purchasing the entire farm and outbid all of the individual tracks, so nobody ended up winning yeah. anything. So
0: this this auction went as it's complicated. each individual, they did a, a whole farm bid, mm. and then they did a, a bid for each individual tract, and then we went into the combination bidding, and that's where it got weird. And it got expensive. Yes. And I mean, really, really beneficial for the uh, seller because they're getting the most out of it, and the auctioneer probably really likes it too for that
1: uh, commission percentage. But I don't think a lot of the bidders (coughs) appreciate that because you think you have something secured down, and then next thing you know, somebody combines it with another track, bids it up a little bit higher, and then you're down. You're out. out. And And then then all of a sudden, you're back in. And then because somebody else bids up the other. Track, track track five, and now you're now you're winning track four, and you're like, holy yeah. cow! So they'll like combine track four and five, and then you're suddenly able to win track three because those both help bring the combination for all the tracks above whatever the other higher bid was. And I wasn't a huge fan of that bidding style. Like I said, I got to I got to throw my hand up at least a half a dozen times, so it was kind of fun. Yeah. It was nerve wracking. I mean, there was I mean the adrenaline that's going through your body when you think you got to. There was a point there where I thought, oh,
0: oh, my gosh, you're about to own another house and barns. And So, yeah, you know, I, went, <laughs> I went there to buy land.
1: There was a house with some barns that was – at once all the tracks had risen to their highest bid, the, the house only had $10,000 on it, and it was a nice house, at least a decent house. And like, good barn. Yeah, that'd be a rental property. I could store hay in the barns. Perfect. For 10 grand, I want to at least get that up to 15 and then it's mine. You, mm-hmm. Hell, you, you're not going to find any better deal than that. It was two acres, too. So that's less than 7500 an acre plus barns and a house. Well, I mean, that went up higher. Probably shouldn't have been bidding on it anyways. I don't want to deal with renters, but my banker was standing there and he gave me the permission to continue on with it. And I think it all worked out in the end. I didn't end up getting it, but that was definitely
0: an interesting experience. Yeah. So, first. No hand raise. Second, a lot of hand raising, a lot of 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 not what you
1: expected. Maybe the third's different. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I I still don't, I'm not going to say young first generation people don't have, um, they can't compete at land auctions. Most likely it's not going to be possible, but I'll never say it It can't be the right banker behind you. and If you have the right equity and income coming in, I, I suppose you could. But some of these established guys, it's hard to get in there and compete against generational wealth. Or yeah. corporate wealth. And that's who ended up buying both of these. Um, I don't know if you can call it corporate. Well, it is it is kind of a large family that purchased the second one. The first one was purchased by the neighboring factory. Um, oh, yeah, the first one. The first one was yeah. corporate. I'd say the second one, it, it's not necessarily corporate, but it's it's definitely an LLC. Um, but, yeah, they own a large equipment dealership, and they purchased thousands of acres at least hundreds every year, and they have thousands of acres under their ownership.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's hard to compete with that type of equity. And yeah, they can cash flow or uh, land pretty good at the amount of equipment they're moving through their dealership. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's definitely an interesting experience, going to land auctions. It's interesting making those first calls. Luckily, I've worked for people who've made hay. I've been around haymaking a little bit. So I kind of knew when it was time to rake, but I wasn't an expert. I had made calls to people who had made hay to get advice. I kind of knew when it was time to bail, but I wasn't for sure. Um, Not to say I haven't made mistakes along the way, mailing some questionable stuff, but some of that was driven by other things rather than just the field conditions. I mean, you're looking at weather forecasts and stuff like that maybe drive you to do things you probably otherwise wouldn't. I mean, the same thing would go for anything. Weather conditions may drive someone to plant conditions that are less than ideal just to uh, beat a certain front that's coming in. But those are all decisions you have to, it just takes time to understand how to do those and know if you're making the right decision or not. It's, it's, it doesn't all come at once. Yeah.
0: it's. hmm. I'm trying to of some more first. I can talk on, uh, grain marketing. My first year marketing grain, I, I have no on-farm storage.
1: Most people in our area don't. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people don't. Yeah, I wouldn't say most, but a fair amount.
0: Um, I had no on-farm storage. I knew that I didn't want to pay, or I didn't want to sell it, whatever board price was in the fall, and I didn't want to pay for storage all winter until...
1: What is storage? 10 cents a
0: bushel? It's 15 cents a bushel per month now. They just increased that. Um, So I ended up... I mean, without insurance, I wouldn't market the way I do, but I ended up, I would market um, before I planted a certain percentage. Then after planting, I've got a crop up. It looks good. I'm comfortable marketing another percentage. Then I'm later in the season um, and I... I'm not making like yield estimates or anything. I'm not pulling in here and saying, "Well, we're gonna have 240 bushel of corn. I'm gonna market all of it." Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm looking at the crop. I think, okay, I'm gonna produce. I so I I was setting a low, a low end yield estimate, and, and I would contract a certain percentage of that, kind of by certain um, check marks in through the season, before planting, after planting, before harvest, and then after harvest i would do some more um and so far i've done that pretty comfortably and within those time zones of like pre-plant and you can get some events happening in south america that really get you a grab at a good price
1: or um south american production really drives american grain prices and then consumption in asia yeah or there's i mean there's
0: a weather scare Mm -hmm. there's uh, war in Ukraine. I mean, you got to take advantage of those throughout the season, um, price wise. So I did, but I never went above like a certain threshold. I I mean, I kept a really low yield estimate so I wasn't over
1: contracting myself. So you're saying sometimes some good can come out of war, <laughs> at least for the American farmer. Right?
0: Uh, next topic. Um, so. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, you kind of gotta look out for global events because they do affect the the markets. And and if you don't take advantage of the the benefits in the markets, I mean, you might get bit when it is a disadvantage for uh, input prices. I mean, you gotta look at you gotta look at those things and and take a jump at those opportunities. Um, and then this year, for the first time, I'm keeping some grain on wheels, and I contracted into January and March um, so that's kind of kind of defer some income for me for this year which may be good maybe bad um, might make it tight for me next
1: year but so my opinion on some of that I know some guys like to play the tax schedule and purchase things just to avoid taxes but I think you just need to do what makes the most financial sense Sometimes that is avoiding taxes, but some guys will make excessive purchases. Yeah, I'm not going
0: out and buying a brand-new combine so that yeah. I don't pay any taxes this year. I'm just trying to alleviate some of the tax stress tax that I could have. Yeah, um, which may put a little more burden on me next year, but next year I may... But it might allow you to sell the, might allow the me grain to, for
1: a higher price right. to offset any additional tax burden you might see. Right. So I, I was comfortable with those further out prices and
0: I've got some grain on wheels and it's dry, so I'm going to hold off there and, and mark it out further for the first time and have a later delivery and not just selling my extra in the fall. And I mean, because I really want to avoid that 15 cents per bushel per month. That's yeah. I mean, That could put a hurt on me, quick, I think. Um, so I sold very little grain this year at board price. Um, maybe a few loads, and those were on on the delayed price time in the, in the 10 days that you have after delivery at our elevator to, to make a decision whether or not you're going to back pay storage or you're going to pay storage forward or you're going to sell at a price during that 10-day period. So, I mean, I had a couple bumps in those 10 days when I hauled in, and so, yeah, marketing has definitely evolved for me a little bit, but... And it could in the future more with some storage and stuff like that.
1: Well, thanks for sticking around.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know how many more first we can beat the crap out of here, but I'm sure more will come to mind after, as soon as we stop recording. Well, we can recording, but them on to another one. Yep.
1: All right. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed.